All right, I guess I'm going to start this thing. <laughs> Hi, everyone. How's it going? My name is Bonnie Violet, and I'm a trans femme, genderqueer, spiritual drag artist. Um, and in case you didn't know where you are, you're at the Drag and Spirituality um, live recording of the podcast here at the Queer Christian Fellowship Conference. So, woo! All right, great. Yes. <laughs> um, so we're going to... Um, yeah, so we're this is a live recording just for folks so folks know so it will be up on the podcast eventually. Um, just a little bit about uh, so just a little like I guess housekeeping or just an update. <laughs> I had planned to have a local drag artist uh, to be here today to be able to do an interview. Um, usually with the Drag and Spirituality podcast, I interview drag artists about their uh, dr their drag as well as their spirituality, and ultimately my my um, goal is to help lace their drag narrative with a spiritual thread. And so, um, and then my backup person <laughs> canceled this morning as well. So, um, so it's, I, so I guess the stars are just like, girl, you're going to get in front of people and just talk. Uh, <laughs> so, um, so one of the things that I, I wanted to do is I want, we have a mic. So if people have questions, um, or comments or something you'd like to share, um, we can bring a mic to you. And I want this to be, you know, it can be conversational. Maybe you're my drag queen, king, thing, drag royalty, whatever, you know? <laughs> um, and, and we can kind of, um, I don't know, play it by ear. I know there's a reason that you came here and you chose this one. And so I'd love to try to help um, meet that need, so to speak, or at least give an attempt to it. Um, so just a little bit about, about me and the podcast, uh, just to, I don't know how familiar people are with the Dragon Spirituality podcast. It's actually a talk show on YouTube. It's a podcast um, wherever you listen to podcasts. And then uh, it's also been, it's also turned into a summit. And so um, during the pandemic, um, well, it, it was really random. Last night I was watching uh, the first video um, the first interview that I did with drag artists, which was in 2014. Um, at that time, I looked very different. <laughs> my, uh, my, uh, my friend was like watching it and it was before my transition and like all this sort of stuff. And they're like, I don't know if I'm supposed to see this. <laughs> so um, one of the things that's been really interesting, um, I have the Dragon Spirituality podcast as well as um, a couple of other podcasts, and my transi transition began as I was going through these things. So there's like all kinds of different names <laughs> and experiences along the way. Um, so uh, in 2014, I was living in Chicago. Um, I was uh, involved with Urban Village Church, um, which is a United Methodist Church um, that I had kind of randomly found myself at. <laughs> um, and it was really random. Um, so a lot of the times, one of the first questions I ask is, you know, what did you learn about spirituality or what were you taught as a kid or growing up? And for me, I grew up in a little town of 3,000 people in uh, a town called Wendell in Idaho, um, population 3,000. And I think it's still there, <laughs> 20 some years later, uh, still at the same uh, population. Um, but I went to you know grade school, junior high, and high school there. I lived on the same corner that my parents grew up on, grew up on, and you know my cousins lived down the road. And my family were not church-going folk. 
I would say my fir the first queer thing that I did that I can recall is I went to church. Um, my family did not do that. Um, they just didn't. You know, my um, I think my mom was introduced to it a little bit when she was younger, and my dad um, uh, is has a Mexican background, so he like has, was kind of brought up in Catholicism when he was younger. Um, but you know, by like ten or eleven, that really kind of went away from him as well. So they didn't necessarily have a spirituality or a connection with God that I was aware of. Um, uh, because, you know, at that time in my life, it was like, if you didn't go to church every Sunday, well, one, you were going to hell, and two, <laughs> like, you must not have a relationship with God. Um, I remember, um, but so, and I was, um, I'm trans out of drag. I'm a trans femme person. I think I said that already. And so growing up, though, I was raised as as a boy, and um, I just didn't quite fit the light. I just didn't fit. <laughs> and uh, my dad was very frustrated with it. And so he was constantly um, coming at me. You know, it was always like, you need to speak up, or don't put your hands next to your face, or uh, don't sit like that or, you know, just like really kind of like things that at the time I didn't realize that um, he was correcting my gender. And I don't even think he was that aware of it. I do think there was an element of like him wanting me to be a man or be more like tough as kind of a way of that I'm that I, I guess that I'm OK in the world um, because and not to like become a target, I think. Um, but I don't know how aware or that my father was really around that. And I definitely had no clue, except for what it did to me was it made me feel really unsafe and unsettled. I never knew quite how to express myself in a way that I wouldn't get corrected or yelled at or this or that or the other. And when I was, I also don't remember a lot of my childhood. Um, I don't remember anything really until about the age of 12. Um, I have some random like, things here or there at school or whatever, but I don't really have a lot of memory. And my, uh, my, um, so, but I had this like thing that I would, I would cry. Um, if there was any time there was like potential conflict or a raised voice or some sort of like whatever, I would just like hysterically cry. And it was a trauma response, again, not a word that I knew about, <laughs> or my family really, but I would just bawl and I would cry and I would like freak out and turn red and like it was like a scene. And of course my father didn't like this and so he would just get more upset with me about being that way and I didn't know why it was that way. I couldn't, like it just happened. I had no control over it. I found out later on that when I was five years old, I witnessed my, my cousin and I was at his birthday party. He was a year older than me and we were fighting with a toy. I was fighting with one of his toys and his dad came in and threw him across the room and beat him up right in front of me. And um, I wasn't, I was traumatized and I was actually mute. Um, I didn't speak for a very long time. Um, my parents didn't tell me this until like my mid twenties, which I, I don't know how I've, I, I kind of have feelings about it because just because I wrestled so much with this like thing about me that I couldn't control that seemed to just make it harder for me to be in the world. Um, and to kind of get back to church, church was like a safe place for me. It wasn't school because I had problems at school because, you know, all the same things. 
Um, my dad was like a drug dealer and we weren't like the cool, you know, we were in a trailer park. We weren't the cool kids in town. So I definitely dealt with a lot of just challenges uh, socially in school. And so church was just like a safe place that I could go to. Nobody else in my family went. You know what I mean? There was nobody from school. I went to like a church like on the other side, like in a different town. And so um, it was just like a safe place for me to land. And, and I loved it. I loved it. You know, I got to, at the time, you know, I was raised a boy. So, and I was like the oldest. Um, and so like, I got to play like Jesus and God and, you know, Joseph and, you know, all the lead male roles. Right. Um, and so, cause we did at the time they did like um, human videos. I don't know if like, this was like nineties. Um, so like, there was like this big thing in churches where people would like play some sort of music and then you'd have people moving to it or performing to it. It wasn't like a lip sync and it wasn't like creative, like, you know, interpretive dance or something. It was more of like, there was a scene happening, um, you know, like getting, you know, carrying a cross, you know, down the aisle or, you know, whatever, um, those sorts of things. And, um, I love that. I loved that stuff. I really loved doing that. Um, and, and again, it was just like a time that I felt like I could just let myself out a little bit more and sexuality and gender was not something I was fully aware of. And in that space, it wasn't anything that was even talked about, which, you know, can be problematic, <laughs> but you know, like, be, but because they weren't talking about it because they weren't preaching, like you're going to hell or men are this way and women are that way or whatever. I, I just never had to, um, I was never confronted by it, I guess. And so I think that also just allowed me to feel safe there. And so I, I worked really hard to get um, honors and awards and those sorts of things so that I could get out of that small town. <laughs> um, and when I left, uh, I went to like a non-denominational church uh, back home in Idaho. And then I moved out to Phoenix, Arizona when I turned 18. Um, and I I studied architect architectural drafting, um, acting and modeling, as well as uh, I, I went to a, a Southern Baptist University, Grand Canyon University, where I majored in theater and I minored in Christian studies because I wanted to, you know, I wanted to do theater and bring people to the Lord. Um, and uh, my first, like, semester in, I was, um, I was uh, realizing I might not quite fit there. Um, I had, like, had some sexual experience, a sexual experience with a man. And of course I burned everything afterwards and, you know, like thought I was possessed or, you know, something and threw it all away for a little while. And then of course it came back up later or whatever, but this thing was kind of happening. I wasn't so sure I wanted to be in the ministry or I just didn't know if I wanted to be there. And then I got a misdiagnosis with cancer, with leukemia. Um, Luckily, though, it kind of just was allowed me to just kind of leave my first semester without having to get a bill. <laughs> um, and then when I came back after the new year, um, I found out that I actually did not have leukemia, which was great news. Um, uh, and at that time, I just kind of, I don't know, I was, uh, I guess I would have been about 19 at that time. Um, and so I, like, a couple months later in February is like my, um, that's my, February 28th is my birthday. And so I turned 20 in February and my last girlfriend had dumped me 
in January because I wouldn't have sex with her. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and I, yeah, and it, it, it was really hard for me too because I really cared for her. She was in a really bad relationship when we met and then we, I, we kind of like took her out of that, I guess, you know, and like we were just really close friends. Um, but when it came to other stuff, I just was scared, I guess. I don't know. It just wasn't there for me. And so when she left me, um, I felt bad, like, because she was hurt, she was devastated. And, you know, um, I, I just, I didn't think that was fair to her to put her through that. And I needed to really figure out, like, what was going on with me. And so I didn't, I mean, I didn't know queer people, gay people. I, you know, I don't even, we might have saw them on TV when I was a kid, but I don't think so. You know, like, it was just the most thing I had, I, the most concept I had was my dad talking about beating up fairies, you know, or, um, you know, maybe hearing people say slurs or whatever in the hallway or whatever, but there was never really, it just wasn't anything out there. I had never seen what it looked like or meant to be a queer person. Um, and so I got a job at a gay bar to learn how to be gay. <laughs> um, and that time I was still going to church. I got, I moved to Phoenix and I was really active in this like big mega church. And we were, um, I was in the theater program. I, they did like, they did theater performance stuff, but this church had like pyrotechnics and, you know, things like that. So it was like amazing. Um, and so I was working with them and it was crazy because, so they actually casted me as this role that was like a Tim Allen character from Home Improvement. I don't know if you <laughs> know who that is, but it's just like this kind of butch, I guess, kind of, you know, carpenter. Is What do you need, carpenter? I don't know, something. But it, there was definitely like, they were like teaching me how to go, uh, uh, or, you know, like just be a little bit, and I just couldn't do it. Like I was just really bad at it. Um, but nonetheless, I, so I was going to, I was going to school and then I, I was started working at this gay bar and then in May I was diagnosed with HIV. And so uh, that really kind of pushed, because I wasn't out of the closet yet. I was just like, I guess like, you know, just checking it out, like seeing what it was. But once I was diagnosed with HIV, it really kind of pushed me out of the closet. Um, I moved out, I came back, I went back to Idaho. I told my family um, that I had HIV or th and that I was gay. And so, you know, it was quite the Mother's Day. Um, and it, it was Mother's Day, which I wouldn't recommend if you ever need to do anything like that. And that was not my intention either. Um, my parents had, um, it was just, I was there. I was a mess. <laughs> they knew something was up and it was Mother's Day. And I had planned to tell them the next day, but they were just like, it's 10 o'clock <laughs> night on Mother's Day, and we just want to know what the heck is going on with you. Um, so I told them, and, you know, it was mixed reviews. You know, my dad was like, happy fucking Mother's Day. My grandma told me that she loved me anyway. My dad told me that I broke, or my grandfather told me that I'd broken my father's heart, and my mom just cried. Like, I had never seen her cry before in my life. She was, like, the the strength of everyone in the family as well as like everyone down the block and all of the you know all of the cousins and the you know my mom was the person that everybody went to and so it was really um it was just a shock you know and then so I told my family I stayed home for a few days because I didn't feel like it was right to just 
Hey, I have AIDS. Bye. You know, so hung out for a couple of days with them and then went back to Arizona and really learned what it was um, to be a person living with HIV. Um, and I normally would go to church and that would be like the place I would go to get support and connect with people. Um, but I hadn't even told these people that I was gay. Um, and uh, I didn't feel, I didn't feel like a gay person with HIV was compatible with the group that I was a part of. I don't know how much of that was true or not, but I definitely didn't feel like I was welcome there um, with those aspects of my life. And so I've, I just kind of like let go of God in that moment. It was very dramatic when I went to church and I was like crying and it was ridiculous, but um, I knew that I had to leave. And so I left. Um, and I and I and I always kind of had this idea that like God was um, like I I didn't I mean I did have a lot of shame like I did think that I was a horrible person or that I was doing things that maybe would have me go to hell but I did believe that God would love me anyway I guess I didn't understand how but I did have some like deep down inside I did think that maybe God could love me anyway. Um, and so I kind of just put it on the shelf <laughs> and um, just kind of um, just kind of put it away um, and and got rid of that awareness of um, God in my life and the practices of church and just talking about things and and I started using ecstasy and I started partying and I started going to queer bars and you know and the, that all became my church and that became my safe place you know um, I do believe at the time I didn't see like I still struggle sometimes with the God thing and how to talk about her it, them whatever you know but like I can see now that me getting into drugs and alcohol into the club scene like saved my life mm. like I know that it was a gift and I believe that it was God doing for me what I could not do for myself. And thankfully I was connected with people in situations that helped me. And I'm not like endorsing <laughs> to go use drugs and do the, all these sorts of things, but I could not handle everything that was happening. And I just needed something to soften the blow of life. And um, so I kind of just got into the drug scene and all that sort of stuff and kind of stayed away from churches and stuff. And um, I started an HIV AIDS organization back in Idaho in my 20s and um, long story short, longer, I don't know, it's, it's getting there. Um, but like I, um, I, uh, I ended up getting back into the idea of spirituality when I got sober. Um, I was 29 years old, so I'd done about nine, 10 years of drinking and using. Life had kind of, I was still like, I was the executive director of an HIV AIDS organization in Idaho and was like doing some pretty badass shit, but I was also like really struggling with um, alcohol and drugs were starting to slip in again. And drugs were something that I had completely put out of the picture because um, because I was running an AIDS organization and I, I, I knew that that was bigger than me. Like in a lot of ways, that was my higher power. It was my purpose. It was what I was doing to try to validate my existence and make up for all the wrong that I did. Um, initially, that's really what it was. It was just me trying to do something to matter because I always thought like God made me special and I was going to like save people, you know, all this sort of stuff. And then I was just a faggot with AIDS 
and that was just it didn't I didn't understand how those two things could exist together and so um so once I got into uh recovery I saw other queer folk talk about God and and they had these lives that I didn't know were possible for queer people and so I just started hanging around with them um and eventually I you know, I, I struggled with what my higher power, what God was. It definitely wasn't, you know, wasn't in a church. And it wasn't that God that I grew up in, at least in my mind. Like, now I can see it's all the same. But at that time in my life, I couldn't. It really had to be, like, the separate thing. And initially, it was just my mentor. I think my mentor was my higher power, you know? Like, there were a lot. Or sometimes I just borrowed yours. Um, I just, I believed you <laughs> and what you were saying about your experience and so I just, you know, um, I just hope to God you weren't lying to me. Um, and I just kind of used yours for a little while. So that's kind of how I ended up getting kind of back into, I kind of like got a little long there. Um, but again, this is kind of like making up for, <laughs> we're, we're winging it. But, um, but I, um, so I ended up landing at Urban Village Church. Um, at that time I was three years sober. Um, and uh, I had went there to schedule, like, set up HIV testing. It was just going to be an HIV testing site. It was I wasn't going there for church, but I think they tricked me, and I ended up having, I ended up having to sit through like the service, and it was like a queer guy who was an addict who, and I was just like, it was like everything he was saying was just like, I felt like it was just for me, like it was, you know, I feel like we've had the we have those moments where we feel like everything just comes together and this is like all about me. Um, and that's just what it was. Like I felt like it, he was just speaking right to me. I was like bawling <laughs> and I'm like trying to keep my composure cause I'm at work, you know? And I'm next to, em I think it was Emily, I don't know, it was somebody uh, who was like the, working with the church and um, I'm falling apart and of course she don't care cause sh she gets it, but I'm like mortified. And the next thing I knew I just found myself going there every Sunday for months. And um, I um, cried every, I cried all the time. I cried so much. Um, but I, but I, that was like the starting of my healing. It was really important for me to find a church with, that looked a little bit like the ones I grew up in, but I could like wear my hot pants and I could serve communion and I could talk about um, living with HIV or being, you know, queer. And it wasn't just like, oh, the queers are over there. It was like, no, we were doing the shit and we were invited to do this stuff and so it was such a powerful experience for me and uh and then yeah and so i guess that, like it's i'm really trying to feel get a sense of like how much to share with you so that it kind of makes sense like with drag um but i'll just kind of like so I, I got sober um i i uh i'm trying to think I went to the Urban Village Church. I wasn't necessarily looking to be a Christian, like I wasn't planning on taking up the cross, so to speak, but it was very healing for me to be able to do that. And eventually, um, I had a situation where I, I was um, gifted um, to hold my nephew when he passed away. And um, in that moment, I was like the queer person who was like at the Mormon church with my brother's wife's family, putting together the funeral and stuff. And and then I was like with my brother's family, like planning a kager and 
you know, like, like it was just two very different worlds, but I was like in the in-between of all that and they all were coming to me. And it was just such a powerful moment that it reminded me of like how much I wanted to, like I missed spiritual work and I really felt like, I don't know, I just felt a call to feel like to just lean into that a little bit more. And so that's when I'm like, well, how can I do that? And as and so that's when I started being a queer chaplain um, and I went went to lay chaplain training through Urban Village Church as well. Um, and then in 2014 in Chicago, I interviewed uh, friends of mine, uh, Cleopocalypse and Penetration. We sat in my off in my little living room one December, and it, it was really random. I'm just like, hey, do you want to come over, get in drag, and I'll talk to you? And they're like, sure. <laughs> and I was like, hey, you have a camera. Will you come? You know, and. And I, I didn't even know why I did it, but I did it. And we recorded it, and then we did nothing with it for years. And then eventually, like, um, I don't even know quite when, when I was in San Francisco working with Glide, and I got an opportunity to do another drag and spirituality event. And that time it was like a panel discussions, and we would do performance, and it would be like a service, I guess, at church. And then COVID happened, and then um, everything had to kind of go online. And so, so as things went online, then I had all this audio and I was like, oh, I should put this on a podcast. And so that's really kind of how it, how it began. And so, um, and I, I also, I, I had started doing drag as well. And I, but my drag, I'm not like the, I'm not a stunt queen. I'm not like the girl at the club and the bar. I love going and I love like supporting them, but I'm not that girl. Like I had a hard time just going out <laughs> to like say, hey, you want to come in? You know, like I'm just not like that guy wear all the sparkles and stuff. So you come talk to me uh, and then I can talk to you. Um, you know, I think some people put on drag and it's like some I hear people talk like it's some superhuman like uh, thing. <laughs> I don't turn into that girl. I do think it is a superhuman thing because I do think it allows me to be vulnerable and it invites people and it draws people into to me who I really want to connect with. Um, oftentimes, uh, sometimes it is a, um, a protection. Like there's been times that I could hide in drag. Um, and when I, and, and the, th the, fun, the interesting thing about, I think um, drag or even like I think being visibly queer people, um, like there's something that people get just from seeing us. And like we can be struggling. Like I could be like, I'm so tired of being, you know, this to everyone, or, you know, I don't want to be seen, or I don't want to go out, or like, I'm scared. And then people like see you and they're like, oh my God, you're so brave, and which is a whole nother thing. But, you know, they're like, you see that they're like, they get, they're getting some sort of strength from you, and they're talking to you and they, they're animated, and they're, you know, like you see these spirits lifted, and then it lifts my spirit. So, in some ways, it kind of works in this way of kind of transmit, it transmits that way, you know, um, for me. So um, so it's been interesting to try to figure out, well, how can I still do drag? Because I love doing drag. Um, and how can I do it spiritually, I guess? You know what I mean? I had always saw drag artists as spiritual leaders as I started, you know, you know, getting sober and doing all that and, and trying to the idea of looking for church or whatever. I'm like, I'm like, this was church, you know, like, the, especially like drag queens where I grew up, they like had a court system and they they had all this royalty and these pageants and they raised money and took care of people who were dying of AIDS and were impacted by AIDS 
deeply in the 70s and 80s and the 90s and then even now they they do a lot with like trans and immigration and you know like they really do a lot to really try to get into the pulse of where people really need help you know and it and it has its issues for sure there's still a long ways to go but i saw that like i mean like that's what i that's what i want to see church do you know i want church to be taking care of people or you know supporting them you know those sorts of things and then i saw then well then the pastor <laughs> must be the drag queen right <laughs> um so that was actually one of my interests too in kind of asked starting to because i started asking drag queen drag artists about their spirituality before i had ever done drag i had tried it when i was young but i had too much internalized homophobia transphobia that i just couldn't i couldn't do it um, I couldn't handle uh, people hitting on me as a girl because I was like, I'm a dude who likes dudes. You know, like that's where I was at in my <laughs> understanding of myself. I'm not a dude who wants to be a girl, you know, and that's a little crass, but that was just kind of like my thinking at the time. Like being trans wasn't even like a th concept to me at that point in time. And so uh, when drag came into my life later on in life, I um, that's when I um, like, the uh, one thing that drag gifted me was my trans identity. Um, I had an opportunity to put on things differently than I would normally wear, and I loved it. Um, and it was also really vulnerable for me. And because you're a drag artist, you do have to like stage. You know, like when I started, I was performing. Thankfully, I was performing to a bunch of sober people, <laughs> um, so they were nice because you know. I don't know, they just were nice. And so I was able to kind of go up there and all my stuff was like telling stories around gender. Like I was a bearded lady at the time and like it was like always like kind of, I don't know, it was really interesting how I never really realized what was going on for me but I was really exploring and coming to understand my, my gender um, on the day to day, you know? And drag artists will talk about how like they can't wait to get out of <laughs> like to get out of the makeup or to get out of the pads. And I was like, can I go to sleep like this? Or can I go, you know, like I didn't want to get out of some of this stuff, you know? And so um, anyway, drag drag kind of helped me with that. And then um, in starting the podcast, um, we st I just start had more opportunity too with being like virtual and everything to where I didn't have to just talk to people who were near me. And so I was able to talk to people in Canada or on the other side of the country about, their drag and their spirituality. And so um, a lot of my intention behind talking with drag artists about their spirituality was um, as an extension of my chaplaincy. I feel called to be with people around death and dying to self in the form of identities. Um, and I feel like that's when we come to have a new identity that we feel like doesn't allow us to have God in our life anymore or religion or whatever. And I just wanna help people see that you don't, like. Maybe God of your understanding will shift, but it doesn't have to go away. And, and you can look for it. And it might even be helpful for you to look for it as you're going through that process. And so, so that's kind of like my goal that I wanna do with people, but how do you find those people who need that or those sorts of things? So in some ways, the um, podcast is outreach or having these conversations is outreach in the sense of letting other people know that this is a possibility, but also like I wanted to work with these drag artists to help them integrate their drag with their spirituality. And so the conversations that I have are, are, are kind of across their lifespan and the whole idea is for them to be able to just talk about drag and spirituality at the same time in the same place because there's not many places that 
that you can do that um, very openly and candidly. And so in doing that, in helping people lace their narrative with a spiritual thread, especially a narrative thought to be without God, I'm just, um, it, um, it allows you to begin to see like God where God wasn't before, kind of like when I talked about like my substance, you like getting into drug use and club scenes was like my savior to some degree. Um, I feel like uh, in go being able to go back in time and, and looking at these sorts of things, they're able to change their, their narrative. And I think it reminds us of our resilience, it builds our faith, um, and it gives us hope that when we're in that spot again, where we believe we're not worthy or we can't see God or like we're having problems with our church or like whatever, that we can still have some sort of hope and maybe even faith or knowing that it's here. I'm just struggling to understand it or to grasp it or to see it. Um, and so a lot of the interview process is really to try to help people have this experience. And then for other people, other drag artists, to see that drag could be a part of their drag if it wasn't already. And oftentimes it already is, uh, because I think as spiritual people, you know, like, I don't know, I don't, everything I do is spiritual, you know? Um, so I think some of it is just, again, bringing an awareness to what drag does to you. You know, I think spirituality is what gives, gives me life. It's what lifts, lifts me, it's what animates me. And I think drag does that for a lot of people. A lot of people talk about how drag saved their life or a lot of drag artists will, you know, rage or they will, you know, like they'll, they'll, they'll maybe be able to be a little bit, feel a little bit more attractive or, you know, like there's a lot of things that, that begin to happen when they're able to do drag. So I've been like talking a lot and I did want to open it up to you all. Does anyone have any questions or comments? Yeah, go ahead. And we'll just have you do it on the mic since we're recording. Hi, I'm Hi. not exactly sure how to ask because um, I have like a lot going in my head. Um, just, I'll start with this. How, what would you say if someone asked you what is drag? Yeah, um, I would say it would be different. You know, like I, it, I, I think it's a performative, uh, that it's a performative, a performance art that is often centered around gender expression. Um, but you know, I've I've been in drag long enough, and I've talked to people long enough that, like, I'm just like, if you call it drag, it's drag. You know, because there are people who do drag that are like creatures, you know, or they're animals, or they're you know, but it's still a form of drag for them, right? And so, but I mean, typically, what we think of is kind of a gender bending or crossing genders from your own. I think for a lot of trans people, sometimes it's just, for some trans people, oftentimes, sometimes they are in their opposite gender, if you will, um, but sometimes, like for me, I'm, I'm feminine regardless. Maybe one day I'll do more mask-like drag, but at this point in time, that's just not where I'm at. So I think, I think just drag is an intentional performance. And I think it's queer in nature, um, but I don't think it's weird because I, I just know that we all we all have our own experiences with things. And I think for some people it is like a f you to the world and a a way to express their queerness or a way to to kind of do therapy and or like 
or you know to buck against the system and for other people maybe they just want to like make some money and and be on a stage and you know what I mean like yeah. so I think it just kind of kind of depends on what drag is I mean drag I think is it's it's changing yeah yeah um I, I'm the secretary of the little P flag uh, in my small area, and we have a drag queen. And last year, uh, I took my husband to it, and something happened inside of him, and uh, he just really loves it. Mm -hmm. And he's always been a bit feminine. Um, and so over this last year, I feel like uh, I've probably watched every RuPaul <laughs> like for a day and all this and he's following you know and and I'm trying to learn I can say for me um, as a cishet woman I feel when I like interact I feel more permission to be me which mm -hmm. I think is cool and I think he's really started I mean I've he's a wallflower and now he's like trying to do stuff and he really uh -huh. wants to learn and I, I just, I want to learn more about it. I, I'm not sure what, if it gets conflated with trans sometimes or, or, or what experience you have. Like, I think I'm not always sure where it fits, you know, mm -hmm. when I'm talking to people. So that's kind of. Yeah, it's, I think in general, drag and transness is different. You know, one is a sexual, one is a gender identity. The other is like a performance expression, maybe of gender. Um, but sometimes there's some intersections, right? Um, but in general, drag is not, it's not the same as transness. So um, I think like if you're kind of interested in getting into drag, I think one of the things that's helpful is to find, it's like to go to drag shows and go to communities and meet with folks. And then I, I think it's just you ask somebody you know, you ask somebody who's a drag artist in your area, maybe they do something you like or that you would like to do, and ask them. Uh, but we have drag families. There's drag mothers and fathers and non-binary parents and siblings because, you know, you don't want to be old. You're all sisters or whatever, you know? So, but there's ways that we mentor each other in kind of finding our, our drag and what that looks like. Like teaches makeup or how we can modify our body for performance or, you know, it really just kind of depends on what we want to do. But I think um, asking a community, I think sometimes it can be, I think it might be challenging, say, for like a cis white woman to go to a drag show and be like, hey, will you put me in drag? I'm sure there will be, or husband, either, either, well, okay, but either way, like, like I think, I think there's a mindfulness to have about um, being in the community as not a queer person, I guess. Um, I think it's just something to be mindful of. Um, and there are plenty of, there are straight people who do drag. There are, you know what I mean? Like, so there is a space for it. Um, but I think just being mindful about it because I think it is in general a queer kind of thing <laughs> or, a, you know what I mean? Uh, but I, I don't think it needs to be exclusively, I guess. Yeah. I hope that answered. Yeah. Yes. Eric. Thank you. Um, so across history and a lot of cultures, like queer and like gender expansive people are often often have a special role in society as like storytellers and as spiritual leaders. Mm -hmm. um, and so, what do you? What are some ways that like you kind of see that in our society, or special insights that you think that 
like queer and gender expansive people can have for um, like for the Christian church and for yeah. um, our spiritual communities. I feel like we challenge people to to look in the tween of things and to see themselves in the tween of things. I don't think there are very many people who are, you know, not every not every male is the same in every female. You know what I mean? Like there's so much variance in experience for all of us and our understandings. And words mean different to different people as well too. So I think queer, visibly queer and trans trans people are like I think part of our I think God I believe God God continues God and I continue to create me into a queer person and a trans person specifically in this time in this space in this you know in 2023 um with this identity I really truly honestly believe that I'm doing it for God or I'm doing it for a higher purpose I'm doing it it's it's birthed from my spirit um even my transness I I never um like I never saw myself as trans but I did I I was like but I'm but I but my my spirit is femme you know and it's like what's more trans than that maybe I don't know you know what I mean um uh, our minds do amazing things to us and so for me to be able to be trans like to be visibly feminine is a way for me to let out that spirit within me so for me, that's what it does, and I think it invites other people as well to one, see my spirit, and then they can show me theirs. You know what I mean? And so I truly believe that I, like, because I don't know that I was born trans. I wouldn't say that I was born trans. Maybe I was. I know sometimes that's like the rhetoric. We have to say, oh, you know, we have to be born this way in order for it to be valid. Like, why wouldn't people evolve and change? Why wouldn't there be something new now? You know what I mean? Maybe I was born trans. Or maybe it's someplace I'm landed because it makes the most sense for me, you know? Um, being queer to me is more than just, uh, it's my sexual orientation, it's my gender identity, it's my politics, it is my spirituality, it's how I see myself in the world, and it's how I want you to see me in the world. And I think I'll always be pushing the boundary of queerness so that I'm kind of always in that queer space which is not an easy space to be in, but I do feel like that's where I'm called to. And I think part of that is to create an expansion for, for more people to have a better experience. You know? And so I feel like it's a big part of liberation. Um, and I, I don't think you have to identify as queer. I don't think you, I think even like cis people can, you know what I mean? Or like, I, I think there's ways you can do things, you do things queerly outside of the norm like I think that all of that is part of it, and you know, for me, it's an aesthetic thing. Um, I also think because I look the way that I do, and how I do, I think certain people are. Some people will come to me about how I can be like this, um, where others won't. You know what I mean? And so I think I think there's just a uniqueness. I don't know. Um, so I think I think we have a lot to do, and I think that we've always had a lot to do, but I don't know that it's any more or less. I just believe that that's my calling right now in life, and I don't know what other people's trans experiences for. Sometimes I just feel like, can't we just be? Like, it doesn't have to be about like, you know, I think I still have like, you know, have about saving the world, or getting everyone to heaven, or you know what I mean? Those sorts of things. Though that's all I look for. <laughs> like, like I need that sort of drive most of the time. I have a hard time just being. I have like, I, everything has to fucking matter 
<laughs> in my mind. And if it doesn't, I'll find it. You know what I mean? And so um, getting to be is something I'm, I'm, I'm working on. Because, um, and again, I, I just think it's just so relative. For me, it's, it, it's a big part of my spiritual calling. And I do think it's more, for more than just me. Um, but I don't, I don't want to put that on everybody else's experience of what they're going through, how they're going through it, how they're perceiving it at that point in time or whatever. It's helpful for me. And I, I, I never transitioned until I had God in my life again, until I started actively seeking a spiritual way, way of life and an authentic, honest, life-affirming way. And that's when transness and became more... I. It was always there and it was obvious. I was a bearded lady. Like I was like, it was all there. Just one day I was like, oh yeah. And then I was like, oh, you know, it was like just one of those things at 40 some years old. You know, I finally was able to say I'm trans. And a big part of that was I was afraid. I was afraid I'd lose my family. I was afraid I would lose my friends. I, I was afraid I would lose my life, you know, just so much. And the truth is, is that all happened. That all happened and for me that just affirms why it took me so long um, and I'm also in a point in which it do, I don't care I mean I do it hurts but like I don't want I can't exist any differently and I want to be able to continue to expand into this understanding of myself and I, I just I just and I, I do want community I do want people around me through that and so for me that's something that drag drag does for me drag is a, a channel for me to do that um, and there are lots of drag artists all over in all different faiths and traditions and cultures that do intentionally drag for spiritual purposes. You know, there are plenty of people who do ritual in drag or um, perform in drag or just they're like praying to God and then they're, you know, shaking their booty, whatever, you know, like, um, I, yeah, shaking the see, That's why I don't perform. <laughs> uh, so... So, you know, I, I think our relationship to it is different, but um, I, it's been helpful to know. I think sometimes we do feel isolated in it, though. A lot like this conference, the great thing is, is that we can bring both our spirituality and our, our um, queerness at the same time. Like, those things can exist together, and that doesn't always happen. And so um, I think a lot of drag artists can feel that way, too. Again, they either believe that what they're doing in drag is not of the Lord, <laughs> or um, so it's very compartmentalized, um, so they don't think it can happen. Um, I don't know where I was gonna where I was going with that, but um, because of that, there's a lot of isolation. And I think a lot of people are like in their little community, thinking they're mavericks. You know, like I thought I was the first one. No, <laughs> there's lots all over. And so that was one thing that's been really great about the podcast as well, too, is I've been able to reach out and meet all these people and also help them connect with other people who are doing similar things, you know? And so that's when the summit, the Dragon Spirituality Summit came up, was built after that because it was like, okay, COVID's done. Well, not done, but it's, it's uh, different. Um, and we can be in person a little bit more. And so then we created the Dragon Spirituality Summit for a way for people to come together. So like I met drag artists that I'd known for years that I'd never actually seen in person until that summit. So um, our next one is in Toronto um, on November 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. Um, so we bounce to a different city every year um, uh, for accessibility's sake. Um, it also is virtual and in person, 
um, again, for accessibility's sake. Um, and it is still pretty new, so it can be challenged. Like, there's not like lots of scholarships or, um, you know, we are, you know what I mean? Like, it's just really new. And I think because it's kind of outside of the box, there's not like, you know, lots of funding streams or those sorts of things. We're still developing it and building that. But um, there is, but if you start now, there are ways that we can help folks get there. Like we can arrange for people to stay. We have homes, we have people that will let you stay in their home. We can help with food, you know what I mean? So there's ways we can help folks get there if they wanna get there. You also can uh, perform, you know, some folks maybe perform for the first time. And usually we ask you to do something intentionally spiritual in your drag, sorry, and so we usually do like a number of drag shows. Um, so there's opportunities to apply to be a performer, there's opportunities to speak, um, and also like be on a panel, or you know, we're open to a lot of different ways of people expressing their drag spiritually, um, and for others to share. So um, you can go to dragonspirituality.com, or if uh, there's postcards, you're welcome to take one or, or more, um, and uh, you can, uh, get connected through drag and spirituality through Queer Chaplain, because it's part of um, Queer Chaplain Productions. Yes. How are we on time? Thank you so much for uh, your story and being so vulnerable. Um, it's a bit of, I, I don't really know how to pinpoint my question, so I'll give it some context. I, we've, my partner and I moved to a smaller town the last couple of years. And there is a drag bar uh, or a queer owned space that does have drag brunch. And <laughs> I had tried for the first few months we were there to book the required reservations. And they're always booked up, always booked up. And so one day at work, my colleagues were like, oh, have you ever been to Dorothy's for their drag brunch? And I said, because they say, because we, we go and we love it. It's so great. Uh, and we, like, we were just there this Sunday. And I had tried to book in that Sunday. I'm like, no, I haven't been able to go realizing it's because the straight people are booking in. Right. Mm -hmm. And I guess, so I, I, I had this internal struggle with this frust, and, and I did make it one time, and they, a room of 60, the drag performer asked, you know, put up your hand if you're queer. And I was one of two people in a room of maybe like 60. Mm -hmm. And so I struggle with this, this frustration maybe of um, having straight people in queer spaces um, which then limits queer people from being in that safe space, mm -hmm. but in the same light also celebrating that we are at a point in time where we can have straight people feeling comfortable enough to join us in those spaces. So I don't really know where my question is going, but maybe you can speak to like, how do we maybe unify or come to terms with, without screening people for their orientation as they're making right. reservation, um, like wel welcoming straight people, but also allowing queer people to be present in those spaces. Great. I think that's a really uh, common thing you hear, and you even hear them joke about um, RuPaul's Drag Race, the bachelor parties, and you know, like there's a lot of. Um, uh, but I think, and, and I, I, I hear what you're saying, and I think also where there's limited spaces, um, it feels like it's even more important. I think it's just important for like allies to be mindful, but I don't think a lot of those folks are necessarily being allies, if that makes sense. You know, they're not thinking about, am I taking somebody else's chair who is part of the community who could benefit from this. So I think the biggest thing, I think brunch, I don't know, I think brunches are made for 
I'm like, they're not made for straight people, but they're made, it's a different type of vibe, I think, than say going to a club um, and watching drag. Um, so I, I mean, I think the biggest thing is uh, to like, uh, like they're just, I don't know if it's about changing that space, but maybe it's about making another one um, or seeing if there's additional ones, which is, which sucks, but it's the burden of being marginalized. Oftentimes we end up having to create our own spaces and build our own stuff in order to, um, to have the support and the connection that we so desire. So I think maybe even being able to say that to other drag artists, like maybe do just letting the drag artists know that you talk to or, you know, things like, because I don't think it's a unique experience to you. And I know that um, drag artists oftentimes have a mixed bag too, because I think they want more queer people, but I don't think they can make money in the same way as if straight people were coming. Um, and oftentimes, when, I mean, I think just in general, when when somebody is in a space that they they're not they don't fully understand, they they're gonna cause harm and like it's privilege. Like they don't even know that they're being harmful. You know, the girls that are touching the queens or grabbing their breasts or you know doing all those sorts of things, which are kind of known to be like drunk white girl things. Sorry, like that's just kind of a common thing that's experienced for drag artists often and it's like this mixed bag because they're the ones giving you the money but also you're like don't want to deal with that sort of so I don't I don't know if it's all necessarily about like again people's orientation but I do think it's about how you are in the, in those spaces um, I don't feel like I'm answering your question but I don't I think the big thing is just maybe you need to become a producer <laughs> um, or you know offer up a space to have a different type of uh, show, or maybe even it is a brunch. Um, I know we've done brunches at, I've done brunches at churches, with churches, so churches do gospel drag brunches or uh, things like that, which you might, you know, I don't know if that'll fix necessarily, but I think just being able to create more options might lead to less of that. Um, and I, I don't know if promoters w would, to some degree, give first call to, you know, community folks and then or like have a certain amount of seats that are saved I don't know I think that might be something for folks to really think about um, that's not typically my scene but personally so I can't necessarily speak to the ins and outs of it but I do live in Boise Idaho so I do know what that I do know that there's not a lot of spaces and then we go like I, I refer to our gay club as the the the, the petting zoo for straight people um, uh, just because there ends up being more, and part of that is just our culture has changed as well too. You know, there's not as many, um, like it's, it's not in some places, it's not as important to be a queer person as a queer person to go to the queer bar. Sometimes you can just go to other bars and it's not as scary or harmful as it once was. So I think there's that element that is there as well, but it's this mixed bag and I know like a lot of, girls feel safer um, in queer spaces um, because they're not having to deal with men who are, you know, coming at them. So um, so it's like this weird mix and then usually the men follow them and like it's something you can see in club culture. Um, you see a lot of bar owners will 
switch locations and venues and types just because that'll that'll happen, you know. But that that you know gentrification, I guess, in some ways. <laughs> I don't know if that helped. Any other questions or comments? I I ended up talking a lot more about I don't know like my background, I guess, than I anticipated. <laughs> so I'm I'm having some sort of like second like feelings about that or thoughts that I'm not like like I'm not like I I, I really want like for you all came for a reason and so I'm I want to make sure that I speak to um, or acknowledge what it is that you that kind of drew you to come to this group this particular conversation so feel free to ask or direct me yes yeah just um, first, thank you for being so vulnerable and being willing to share your story with us. I think that has a lot of impact on a lot of people. So thank you for that. And I guess the question would be, what is one thing that you've learned about God and who God is by living into your true identity? Mm -hmm. And how has that kind of shifted over time? I think I think one thing that was really really helpful for me and my understanding of God is is to 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 recognize that my creation wasn't something that happened god being a part of my creation is not something that they did and like one and done you know like i god is continuing to create me um and the difference is is like i'm a co-creator with god in who i am and how i am and i believe that god wants for me what i want for me so there's an alignment there uh, there was much of my life when i didn't believe that you know when i I didn't believe that God wanted for me what I wanted. Um, and I also didn't, I didn't think I had my own agency to create myself, you know, either because I told I couldn't wear that or do this, that, or the other. Um, I was just a product of all the things that happened to me. You know, and as queer folks and other folks, we deal with a lot of traumas and a lot of experiences, and they form us, you know? And for a long time, I was just, I don't believe in brokenness. That's just my own thing, but um, like for a long time, I was living in the um, the pain of that, and and not and not really, and I was completely unaware of how it was forming me, and so I guess now I get to choose how that thing is going to impact me, and that that doesn't mean I don't get to have pain or I don't get to, but I get to now play with that or you know get to know that thing that happened to me in a really big way and figure out what I can what I can do with it now that is of service to me. Um, and I think oftentimes of service to my community. I do not believe that I got harmed <laughs> so that I could tell you my story and help you, but I think I was harmed. And in order for me to heal and try to put some sort of reason or understanding to it, it's helpful for me to be able to hear somebody else going through a similar situation. And maybe they get a little bit of strength because I'm okay, like I made it through. Yeah, did I answer your question? Yes. Any other questions on like the podcast or, if you go to, yeah, there is a podcast. I don't feel like I talked about it a lot today, but um, but if you wanna listen to other drag artists and hear their stories and experiences with drag and their spirituality, you can listen wherever you listen to podcasts or you can watch on YouTube know that this has been a journey. <laughs> so in the beginning, I wasn't as, not, not, vis, not, not as, I'm not talking about ecstatic cuteness here. I'm just saying like, I wasn't as put together as cute <laughs> um, in the beginning. 
Um, but it's gradually getting better and better. So just kind of keep that in mind with like, I don't know, you'll know <laughs> when you get there. Um, but I've done my best to try to make it, you know, accessible for folks. Um, so yeah, check it out. Feel free to reach out to me if you have any other questions or thoughts on things, come to the summit. Um, I feel like there was other things I wanted to say, but thank you all for coming. Yeah? All right. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Have a great rest of your conference.